0: I invite you, if you'd like, to turn to uh, Matthew 20 is what we're going to be looking at. We'll be continuing with Ephesians and Exodus. I thought maybe we'd look at a few uh, parables just for variety. So uh, this morning, Matthew 20, uh, verses 1 through 16, uh, it's called the the laborers in the vineyard. As quite a few have pointed out, maybe the, the better title would be the the compassionate vineyard owner, because a lot of focus is upon uh, the owner himself. <clears throat> so Matthew 20, uh, we'll start reading at verse 1 and then look at it, but before we do, let's, let's pray together. Uh, Father, as we take a look at uh, this parable, uh, we ask that Your Spirit would open our eyes to behold things we haven't seen Uh, to or or to be confronted with things that maybe in previous years we didn't need to be confronted with, but right now we do. So we ask that you would uh, uh, just work this miracle by your Spirit in our hearts, that Christ's work would be very precious, and that your calling to us in light of this would be very clear. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, uh, Matthew 20 at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like These last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. May He bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. So, uh, beloved people of Hope Church and everyone with us here uh, this morning, uh, I just want to dive in and notice uh, three things in particular um, uh, from this parable. Uh, The first is simply the compassion of the vineyard owner or the compassion of God. Uh, Secondly, the generosity of God. And then finally, uh, the grumbling at God's generosity or, or how we handle God's generosity. So, those three things and And let's just uh, dive in, verses 1 through 7, to the compassion of the vineyard owner. I want to read those just so they're fresh in our minds again, and then we'll walk through it. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again... About the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So uh, that, uh, that's a, a, a rather large portrait of the owner himself. Now, the first time the owner travels to town, it's about 6 a.m. He shows up there. This was not an uncommon thing where people would be standing there. They're not landowners who are there waiting to be hired. They're day laborers. Uh, these are not wealthy people. They're likely living uh, uh, day by day, paycheck by paycheck, we might say. And so they need to work in order to feed their families, pay their mortgages, whatever they had to do. So they're gathered in a group. They're all standing there at a public spot that was well known by vineyard owners or landowners where you can go hire people, uh, much like our temporary agencies are today. You can call them up and you know you know where their phone numbers are. They're listed. So the owner goes there at 6 a.m. and finds people there and says, hey, I'm willing to hire you and what do you want to work out? So they worked out a deal of, well, let's do a denarius for the day's work, which was a typical day's, uh, day's wage. Uh, you're not going to get rich off this, but it's maybe uh, above minimum wage. You can, you can do fine with a denarius a day. And so they agree to it, and he says, well, then go work in the fields, and off you go. Well, the owner comes back three hours later at 9 a.m., and he hires more. And the agreement with them is, don't worry, I'll do what's right as far as paying you go. So they trusted the owner of the vineyard. And off they went to work. And, and the text says that he did the same thing again at noon and three. So three, every three hours, he's coming out. So at noon, he shows up again, and he says, I'll pay you what's right, go work. At three o'clock in the afternoon, he comes, which is very odd because most of the people would likely have gone home by now. Uh, you're not, you're not going to wait. Who's going to hire you for three hours of work? But he comes back at three o'clock, hires more. And then here's the real stretch. The owner comes back at 5 p.m. We got a day left in the, uh, an hour left in the day. Okay, 12-hour days. They're making hay while the sun is shining. It's time to work in the vineyard, and off we go. He shows up at 5 p.m., one hour left. Maybe what's more amazing is that there's people still standing there <laughs> at 5 p.m. These are people who are desperate. But he hires them. And after he hires them, he says, look, go work. And so, so off they go. Now, what's fascinating about this. There's quite a few things fascinating, but, but uh, first one is that uh, there was still people standing there at 5 p.m. Most people would go home by noon. Most people would not wait this long. They would not have that kind of patience or within the, they would not be this desperate. There were people still standing there at 5 o'clock. He does not say anything to those people about what he's going to pay them. There's no agreement on payment, a denarius or anything like that. He doesn't even tell them he's going to do what's right by them. They just sign up to work for an hour. And off they go. And what's also interesting is that this owner in the parable looks a little bit crazy. He either looks incompetent because he didn't know how many people he needed at the start of the day. Why are you coming back six o'clock in the morning? You start you come back at nine, noon, three, and then five. (laughs) Is did you just buy the vineyard? Is this your first year working in here? He either looks incompetent or there's something else going on in the story, which I hope we'll see in just a moment. Either he's incompetent or extremely compassionate and extremely generous. And something else that stands out is that the owner himself went. In this day and age, if you were the owner of a vineyard, and maybe a sizable vineyard as this owner might be, or as the parable might suggest, we're not given to know the size of it, you would send your foreman or, or some other people to do this task, go hire people. As an owner, you wouldn't necessarily be this involved and the hiring of day laborers. Somebody else can go do this. But this owner actually shows up himself. This owner in person actually shows up uh, to hire the day laborers and to work out what they're going to be uh, paid. And then what else is astonishing about this owner is that he continues to pick the leftovers. Most people would show up at 6 a.m. They grab the people who are strongest, who have the greatest reputation, right? If you've worked with Uh, um, temp agencies, you know what this is like, or or you're going to hire people. You go through a rigorous employment process. We're going to employ you for the day, or we're going to employ you in perpetuity. Uh, We want to make sure that you can make the cut. This owner keeps coming back when the cream of the crop's gone. By 9 a.m., most of the good ones are gone. By noon, they're all gone for sure. By 3 p.m., you're getting a lot of weak people. By 5 p.m., I mean, the only thing that these people have is perseverance. By five PM, they've lasted all day; they've stood there for eleven hours. That—that is indeed perseverance, and there's something to be said for that. But this owner is odd in what he does with this. So, what are we to make of this first little episode? Just the—the way the owner uh, keeps coming back. Uh, The first thing I want us to notice is this: many of the people hired were the least expected to be hired. They were the bottom feeders. They were simply the weakest. And Beloved, this is the kingdom of heaven is like. This is a parable. It's not just about how to work. <laughs> in fact, this was about the kingdom of heaven. And the, the compassionate vineyard owner is God. And in the Old Testament, Israel is compared a lot to a vineyard. And so it's God building His church, God working in His church, God doing things in the midst of His church. And one thing that stands out is that God is not interested in necessarily the strongest the most able, the most talented people. And this, this, this in some ways proves this. God shows up at nine o'clock when most of the best have been taken, at noon, at three, at five. He keeps showing up because He has compassion for those workers and even asks them, why are you standing here? Why are you still here? Because no one's hired us. And this owner has compassion. This owner is, just goes out of his way to make sure that these people have work. Because again, if you don't work in this society, you likely wouldn't be going to the marketplace to eat. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, how God, uh, who God calls to himself. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. He's saying, look, all of you in Corinth, stand up, look around the church for a moment. <laughs> how many of you were wise according to worldly standards? How many were powerful? How many were of noble birth? But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Uh, Beloved, the world may despise you, the the culture in which we live. It's becoming more and more the case here in America. It it usually has been historically the case. The world will uh, despise you if we're living out our faith. But here's something that that is incredibly encouraging about being a Christian in the church. The world may pass us by as insignificant, but God doesn't. God builds His church with the C team. We've looked at this before, right? If you're going to build an NBA basketball team, you go to Duke and you grab Zion Williamson or R.J. Barrett, or you go to Virginia and grab some stars there. That's how you build an NBA basketball team, right? But here's how God builds His team. He goes to the fifth graders and He says, I want you on my team. (laughs) He goes to the the country schools where there's maybe 50 people in the whole school, 10, five, five per class, and says, I like these third graders. They, they've, they've, they've got enough skills for me because I'm going to make my power manifest in their weakness. And I'm going to build a kingdom that no human being, no king, no authority can destroy, no army can, can wipe out. I'm going to build a kingdom with people in the world's eyes who don't really matter. They're insignificant. Now, some are really wealthy. Some are of noble birth, beloved, but there's not many is what Paul is saying. Indeed, we're starting to see this even in this parable of the workers in the vineyard, that God isn't concerned about those who've got those bulging muscles and are standing there at 6 a.m. He's coming back all throughout the day to continue to pick up more and more people. Something else that I think gets our attention here is that the Lord is willing to look foolish in building His church. The owner who comes back, how many times? (laughs) What were people saying about him? We don't know. But it wasn't necessarily the, the best-looking thing for him to keep coming back, keep coming back. People were likely thinking, who is this guy? What, what's the matter? Why, why couldn't he get it right at 6 a.m.? Loved God is willing to look foolish by choosing people who are weak in order to build his church. He's willing to look foolish that way, or he's incredibly wise. The world will call it foolishness. And this is really a, a small portrait of what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ because that was the ultimate foolishness, right? If you're going to try and save a people for yourself, do you send your only begotten son down into this world in the form of a baby? I mean, that's ultimate weakness. Uh, needs to be fed. Needs to be carried down to Egypt. Uh, needs to be cared for in every way that we need to be cared for when we're infants, except he just didn't have any sin. Uh, beloved, that's, uh, that's incredible weakness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, again, the the Greeks, the world, the philosophers, they'll call, this is just foolishness. The Jews will say this is foolishness. It it just doesn't work. It doesn't add up. This is is not the way you build a kingdom. And then you don't build a kingdom by having this glorious, infinitely valuable second member of the Trinity uh, come to his own and have them not receive him. They should be praising and worshiping him. And you don't build a kingdom by having him go and be mocked with a purple robe and crown of thorns pressed into his head, and you don't build a kingdom by having him be spit on, and you, you certainly don't hang him on a cross. You, you don't put him there. That, that's the foreigner's, the slave's death. That's not how you build a kingdom, and yet that's exactly how God builds his kingdom, beloved, through weakness, uh, through using the least. Uh, uh, people like you and me, I don't know if you've looked in the mirror lately, but none of us are outwardly impressive. None of us uh, if, if, if any of us in this room died, probably the world wouldn't even stop. The world wouldn't even slow down. It, it wouldn't even stop. A few people would come to our funerals, right? And this is the case with most of the people in the church all around the world. A few people would come to our funerals. A few people would come to the graveside. Five years from now, maybe we'd get a visitor or two a year, maybe. 50 years from now, have you ever walked to the graveyard? You ever gone there? <laughs> have you ever looked at how many stones are out there? be interesting to have a, 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 a still camera set out there and see how often someone comes to visit someone who's been dead 150 years. Uh, my guess is that you, uh, 50 years might pass before anybody even comes, if, if that. Beloved, we are expendable people, and that's how God is building His church. <laughs> that's how God's pleased to do this, so that He gets all the glory and that none of us can boast. None of those laborers hired at 5 p.m. can walk around and say, hey, <laughs> I, was just in, I was so incredible that He picked me first none of them could say that. Well, I want us to take a look at um, the generosity of God. Uh, Verses 8 through 10, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. So uh, again, just this far. So it's quitting time. It's six o'clock. The owner had the foreman call everyone in to give them their paychecks. They didn't have, obviously, direct deposits, so they're going to hand out cash, uh, a denarius. And the owner switches this up. Normally, you would expect that the owner would pay the first people who had been hired first, and the people who had been hired last, they would pay last, so that the people who are hired first, they get the denarius, they go home. There'd be no scuffle. There'd be no grumbling, and they could just start walking away, and then the owner could pay everybody else after that. But the owner flips this around for a reason. He wants the people who got hired first to see what's going to go on. The owner forces the issue. Pay the last people first because he knows what's coming. And he's trying to get the people who were, that were hired first to start looking at their hearts. And he's created an occasion for growth, you might say. He's creating an occasion to show off his generosity to a certain sector of people. And so the ones who worked one hour, they were paid a denarius. Now, if you're good at math and you're at the back of the line, you're thinking, we're going to get 12. <laughs> awesome. One hour of denarius, we get 12 denarii. This is, this is incredible. If I do this for a little bit, I can retire soon. I can take a year off. We can go on that massive family vacation to Greece or anywhere else you wanted to go. But, but then the next group comes in, And they get a denarius too. Now, if again, you're good at math, they work three hours. You were 12. You're thinking, well, then I get four denarii. But as the groups kept coming, everybody got one denarius. So all of a sudden, math is, this isn't adding up. Math is falling apart. This isn't working mathematically at all. Clearly, the owner is not after a mathematical formula. And finally, those who were hired first, they get their denarius uh, as promised, right? Remember, they made the agreement in the morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. They made the agreement, and so the owner was fair. I agreed to pay you this, and then he paid it to him. Now, I want us to pause for a moment before we get into their grumbling and just take a look at this. <laughs> Again, God's generosity doesn't add up like, like we think it ought to many times. For those of us who struggle with a sort of contract relationship with God, where God is uh, kind of our vending machine, we put in two quarters, we get a small Snickers bar. We put in three quarters, we get a regular size. And we put in four quarters, we get the big Snickers. And we put in eight quarters, and all of a sudden the whole row empties up onto our lap, right? <laughs> a broken vending machine. But some of us uh, might wrestle with I, I, I trust that all of us do. It's just in different areas. I know I've seen this operate in my heart in really sick ways this past week. And I, I hope you see this operate in your... I hope it's not operating, but if it is, I hope you see it. And I hope we can we can uh, spend time sorting through it and repenting of it. I I want us to know that where we wrestle with uh, uh, having a contract relationship with God, God will create opportunities for us to stare at that and come to grips with it. It's what He's doing in the parable, right? Um, Foreman, pay the last first. Why? (laughs) I've got something to do here. I've got people to teach. I think this tells us that God will create opportunities for us to come to grips with that and take a long look at it. Uh, how does God create these opportunities? What do they look like? This is really infinite. Here, here's a few of them, and then I uh, hope you can take it uh, from there. For some of us, we, we think this, that God will reward us with wealth if we're faithful people. Remember these people, what was their complaint? They worked through the heat of the day. They bore the burden of the day. They worked long, and they worked through a lot of pain and the reward wasn't any greater. And Beloved, it's very easy for us to slip into this mindset. Father, if, if I'm obedient to you, and I'm doing what you ask me to do, that you'll give, and I work really hard at my job, and I'm faithful at it, that you'll give me lots of money. And, and I understand the people who are lazy and don't get a lot of money, I understand that, but that means that if I work hard, then I need to be wealthy. And if we have a contract relationship with God, that can be our mindset, and we're going to go crazy. That's not how God works. You know, it's interesting. Many people who work hard indeed end up millionaires. You know, there's a lot of people who just, play, the world would say, got lucky. Well, why did somebody buy your business for a billion dollars? There were 1,000 businesses that were just like yours started up at the same time. Why did Yahoo buy yours? <laughs> the world calls it luck. We call it God's providence, right? This is how God works. Beloved, as God works in the world, so he does in the church. If we think, Lord, if, if I put this much effort into things, then you owe me this. We're in a world of hurt. We're in for a world of hurt. We're in for a world of grumbling in our hearts, complaining in our hearts. It's just a bad spot to be in. We can think the, the same thing with health, right? That's the, those are the two easy ones, health and wealth. Lord, if I'm obedient, et cetera, you owe me a certain amount of health. How dare these people out in the world or these other Christians who, they don't take care of themselves like I do, and but they're... they're they're really strong, they're doing well, they can sleep at night, they're not sick all the time, Lord, you owe this to me. Beloved, it's easy to get caught up in that. And if we do find ourselves in that spot, it's a bad spot to be in. It's not going to work well for us at all. Another one is uh, something that can oftentimes happen in the life of the church. Lord, I've, I've, I don't think this problem exists in hope, but it, it could in our hearts. Uh, some churches have been around for 50 years. Lord, I've been here laboring, I've been around serving here. I planted the church 60 years ago, or I was baptized in this church 60 years ago, and I've been a long-standing member. And yet these Johnny-come-latelys roll into the congregation, and they're getting all the praise. They're the ones that have all the positions. They're the Sunday school teachers, and I just keep getting passed by, or I'm not being used uh, as much, or there's not as much fruit born out of my labor, but I'm inputting all this stuff. Beloved, again, that's a contract relationship with God. Lord, I worked, and you agreed to pay me a denarius, but if you're using these really, really feeble people to do more, then you owe it to me. You owe it to me. Remember, what was the mindset of the people? They thought they would receive more than a denarius, says the passage. So our thoughts can actually go, Lord, I thought you were going to do more with me if you do this much with these people. But again, God turns the tables on that so often. Some people think, look, I'm really talented and I'm really gifted, therefore God has to use me. And, and God can't use people who are less gifted or, or less talented. Um, and, and if He does, again, we are, we are in a world of hurt. I've actually heard some Christians say this, God gives in proportion to our gifting. So since I'm more gifted than others, God has given me more. Now, in this case, God had actually given them more. But that's not how God gives. He doesn't give in proportion to our gifting. <laughs> There's tremendously gifted people whom God heaps blessings upon. There's also tremendously gifted Christians that God doesn't heap a lot of blessings on. Again, here's the thing. In the pharisaical mindset, grace is mathematical. What they don't understand is that grace is not a mathematical formula. God's generosity is not a mathematical formula. If you don't believe that, be the laborers in the back of the line. 12 denarii. Now we're down to four. Oh, now we're down to two. I guess I only get one. The math just doesn't add up, beloved. So if we're trying to figure this out, wrap our minds around it, you won't be able to mathematically. Spurgeon, in in a sermon on this passage, actually said this. This is with regard to heavenly rewards. Sometimes we think, Lord, um, if I do this, I'll get a lot of reward in heaven. Or if I'm really successful, there must be a lot of reward in heaven. And he had this to say, we shall not be rewarded even according to our success. To some men, success is meted out in large measure. That success, which really is not their own, but is the fruit of other people's labors. A man preaches the gospel with many tears for years and sees little fruit. He dies. Another man of earnest spirit follows him and gathers in the old man's sheaves. The former planted, the other man entered into his labors. To whom shall the reward be given? The success is not due to him who seems to have achieved it. You remember the old Romish legend, which contains a great truth. There was a brother who preached very mightily and who had won many souls to Christ. And it was revealed to him one night in a dream that in heaven he would have no reward for all that he had done. He asked to whom the reward would go, and an angel told him that it would go to an old man who used to sit on the pulpit stairs and pray for him. Again, uh, our views of success, beloved, are not how God's going to necessarily reward. God has a different reward system. It's, it's His to give, and He'll give generously, but He'll give as He pleases. You remember uh, the ministry of Isaiah? Spurgeon goes on to talk about the ministry of Jeremiah, a weeping ministry, Isaiah, go and make their hearts hard. (laughs) I mean, Isaiah was diligent, just as diligent as every other prophet. And yet there was basically no fruit out of his work. And how'd you like to be Noah? This is probably the hardest one, right? 120 years worth of sermons. (laughs) I don't know how often he preached. Maybe none of us do. That's a lot of sermons. And guess who gets on the boat with you? Nobody, except your family members. That's it. (laughs) Nobody. Beloved, again, hard work, diligence, And God chooses not to bless it with worldly success. Sometimes in a Reformed world, we can actually view things... If if you're in different circles, you think, well, if a church is growing, they must be doing something right. In our Reformed world, oftentimes we say, if a church is growing, they must be doing something wrong, right? But again, that's math. That that doesn't work. (laughs) Maybe people are doing a lot of things wrong, and God's saving many through them. It, It doesn't add up. That's oftentimes how it happens. And the people who are doing a lot of things right, God doesn't use to save many through. Again, it doesn't add up, beloved, but that's how our God works. And again, in our circles, we might think, the more learned I am, the more degrees I have behind my name, the more God will bless my work. The more He'll bless my evangelism, the more He'll, he'll reach people and be a blessing to other people. But again, God, doesn't, uh, God is not bound to that sort of system. And then you encounter a Spurgeon, right? 17-year-old preacher who's filling stadiums full as he, as he progresses and matures. You encounter today a Matt Chandler has a Bible degree, and God's adding 1,000 people to his church a year. just amazing what the Spirit's done in converting people. Again, God blows uh, our expectations out of the water uh, with regard to his generosity until we finally say, uncle, hopefully, and say, Lord, <laughs> the denarii, the money, is yours to give. Uh, the blessings are yours to give as you want. And that's why he asked the question, is it not mine? Can I not do with it as I, as I please? So the third thing I want us to look at is uh, the people's grumbling at God's generosity. This begins in verse 11. On receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, uh, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, am I, uh, I am doing you no wrong. Uh, Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first. Uh, Notice uh, first, there's many things to notice here, but one of the things I want us to notice is this this notion of grumbling. Um, On receiving it, they grumbled. Now it's literally to murmur, to speak under one's breath, to kind of speak in low tones, like it's, they don't want to be heard. They're like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> no way. I can't believe this. This is unfair. You can hear them. This is unfair. Again, if, if you're coming from a mathematical perspective, what, 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 what he does is either unfair or it's extremely generous. And it turns out to be generous because he's not being unfair at all. He did not pay someone what was due them. He just overpaid. No one was underpaid. Just some people were overpaid. Uh, in, in, in a mathematical mind. Now, why is it such a big deal to grumble? Uh, if you remember, the Israelites did a lot of it in the wilderness, and many of them perished in the wilderness. And Paul picked this up in First 1 Corinthians 10.10 10, uh, and following with, with these words, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, same word, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. What's the point? Grumbling's a big deal. The heart, the inner attitude that's going on inside of these people who felt like they were underpaid is a, is a big deal, beloved. It's a real problem. It's not something that they should view lightly. It's not something God views lightly. It's another way of telling God, look, you're not fair. You're not wise enough or smart enough to figure out who deserves what and who doesn't deserve what. It's a heart which basically says, God, you're not allowed to be generous. Your generosity is simply unfair. You're not allowed to distribute grace. Now, what drove them to begrudge the owner's generosity? It's interesting. They actually tell us what's going on. The people who are complaining tell us what's going on in their hearts in verse 12. These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us. Ooh, that's, that's what's going on. They were hired first. They had all the gifts, the talents. They had all the external signs of someone who should have been hired first. And in their hearts and minds, they entertained this notion, I'm just better than these other people standing here. These other workers, I'm just better than them. They're, they're not equal to me. No way. I'm, I'm worth more money. That's why I get hired first. They had a problem with, they had a superiority problem. They thought they were superior to the other people because they were hired first. And what God's grace proves is that they weren't superior after all. And I think we can at least say this much when we think that our gifts or talents or our hard work or our length of service, makes us superior to other believers. We're just in a dangerous spot spiritually. That's a bad spot to be in because what these laborers had forgotten largely is that they're still day laborers. (laughs) When the landowner went out, he didn't hire other landowners. He didn't hire other owners of the vineyard. He hired day laborers, unimportant people. You You can find them anywhere. And the people who are hired first thought, because I'm hired first, I'm more important. But the reality is, is that they're not any more important than the other people. And that's the kingdom of God, beloved. Now, in the world, when, when people come and hire, there are, people, there are other people more important, right? That's how this world operates. But not in the kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is like this. That some Christians aren't worth more than others just because they can work harder or because they can serve longer. Or because they can bear up underneath more, more pain and more difficulty. That doesn't make them more valuable in the sight of God. That doesn't make them more important. It doesn't make them worth more in the kingdom. Beloved, that, that, that's one of the points that's being being made here. Look, some Christians labor in the kingdom for 70 years. They might see a convert. Some Christians labor in, the, in, the, in, 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 in their life for 70 years and, and they die poor. No one's been converted by their ministry and everybody's forgotten them. And then some people are converted... And within six months, the Lord's used them to save 500 people. How does that add up? It doesn't add up. And and what's going on in the hearts of these people is because this doesn't add up, God is wrong. God is unfair. This isn't right. And what they're coming to grips with is actually God is fair. God is just generous. And what you can't handle is not how God treated you fairly, but you can't handle God's generosity to other people. And that's what we're coming face-to-face with. What a, what a contract Christian, what I, we'll, we'll just call a contract Christian, cannot get his or her mind around is that God is not in the business of a merit-based system. He's not in that business. He doesn't, he doesn't shower blessings based on merit. It's not how He works. So we can secretly think in our hearts and cherish in our hearts this notion that the more obedient, diligent, and hardworking we are, the better my life is going to go but we're going to end up in a really bad spot, meaning we're going to be grumbling and complaining when life doesn't go as we thought it might. And, and, and there's no one to blame except our own bad thinking and our own hearts, which are off. So many of us here might think, I think this is for all of us, it's first for the Pharisees and the scribes, right? They're the ones who bore the heat of the day. They're part of the Old Testament church. And then all these prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners are coming into the kingdom. They're like, what in the world is this about? We've been here for so long. Why do, they get, why do they get heaven too? Many of us who've been Christians for a while, we can have the same attitude when we start looking at our gifts, our talents, we come to grips with them, and we can forget that we're all just day laborers. What the, what the Pharisees forgot is that they're sinners. What the Pharisees couldn't wrap their minds around is that maybe they were hired first, but that doesn't make them more important. And beloved, if we wrestle with this, a grumbling spirit, God, why is this Christian way more wealthy than I am when they're lazy? Uh, be practical. Lord, why is this Christian really healthy when when they don't take care of themselves like I do? Why have you used this Christian mightily? Why, why do they have so much peace and contentment? But Man, you look at their life, and it just doesn't add up. And I'm obedient, I'm hardworking, I'm diligent, I obey your commands, I'm striving to do what's right legitimately, even for all the good reasons. Lord, I love you. You've done so much for me. Why does my life not reflect it outwardly? Beloved, that's just not how God's generosity works. But but know this, if you're in that spot, you will get your denarius. You'll get your eternal life. God will be fair with this. You trust in Jesus Christ. He calls you to work in the vineyard. He brings you in. You will get your eternal life. But you might not get wealth with it, and you might not have health, and you might not be used incredibly and get a lot of praise of people and serve in whatever capacities you think are more important. Some people think officers of a church or Sunday school teachers are being great evangelists or being missionaries on the field or being great hosts in their house. Whatever ways you think are important, maybe God won't use you like that. Maybe He won't. But you have your denarius, you have your eternal life, and it's fair, it's, it's more than fair, it's generous of God to do that. And He may bless other people more. And here's the challenge, not just to say, well, that's okay, God can do that, but to actually rejoice with those who rejoice, to, to actually say, I'm, I'm glad for you, to, to it, from our hearts to say, you know what? I'm just, I'm so glad that God is using you this way. I'm so glad He's He's blessed you with these things. I really, I really am, down to the depths of our souls. Because if we have if all if all Christians have this day labor mindset, here's what happens. We all realize that we could have been left on the side of the road. The owner didn't have to pick us. You who have tremendous gifts, talents, you who've been laboring long in your Christian life, you who've done so much for the kingdom. And maybe don't see the reward that that you want, and are maybe upset that other people have way more reward. Just remember this you're a day laborer too. We all are. None of us is more important than the other. But the only reason we're in the kingdom, and the only reason we've been working a long time, is because this compassionate vineyard owner drove right by our place and said, Come work for me. Let's work this out. You're mine. Let's work this out. That's why you're in the kingdom. that should be enough. To have eternal life far exceeds everything, beloved. To have eternal life, eternal life, uh, heaven coming far exceeds any other blessings God, God may give anyone else. And with that, we should be content. Let's, let's pray.